Good morning, Brookside. Good to see everybody. Hope you're having a, a great weekend. If you're a guest here with us today, I uh, just want to say welcome uh, to you, and uh, we're really glad that you would choose to join us today, and, and uh, it's really our heart that our church would serve you well, and uh, so if you ever need anything, I just want to, we don't say that very often, but um, any of the people in the blue shirts or any of our staff would, uh, would love to, uh, to, uh, to greet you and, and come alongside you. So, Well, uh, today, as Jack said, uh, we are at the end of our series through the book of Colossians. We've been journeying through this uh, series for the last 12 weeks. And uh, you might remember we've called this series Equations, and throughout the series we've had one kind of overarching equation, one equation that's really summed up what we really felt like the whole book of, of uh, Colossians was about. So I just want to write that one out for you. You might remember this. Here it is. Jesus leads to a change, delta, in the sum total of life. We saw early on in chapters 1 and 2, we learned a lot about who Jesus Christ is. And, and not only who Jesus is, but who Jesus impact, how he impacts us and who he causes us to become. And so we said, you know, <clears throat> as we learn about Christ in chapters 1 and 2, then we get to chapters 3 and 4 and we see that that leads to, that knowledge of who Jesus is, it leads to a change in, in really the sum total of life. In our relationships, it leads to change in, in what we do at work and in all sorts of realms. On one particular Sunday, we got to write our own equation, and uh, we said that equation was Jesus is greater than, and then people came up and we filled up those chalkboards on, on the stage here. And people wrote things like, Jesus is, is greater than my possessions, Jesus is greater than my fears, Jesus is greater than this anger that I'm dealing with. Um, and I just want to say this, I want to commend you as a church uh, for being the the type of people throughout this entire series that not only hear God's word being taught, but you also put it into practice. Uh, it's a privilege to be a part of that kind of a, a group, a body of people. Today we're going to look at chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 4, or sorry, verses 7 through 18 of chapter 4. And in this particular passage, what Paul is going to do is he's going to look in the rearview mirror, in a sense, and he's going to express gratitude and he's going to express recognition to a number of people who have helped him as he's been imprisoned in Rome. I'd like to read through this entire text for you. It's, a, it's 12 verses long, and then I want us to pray together just that God would direct us. So let me read through these uh, 11 verses for you this morning. Here we go, verse 7 of chapter 4, Colossians. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Verse 11, Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. They are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nephma 
and to the church and the church in her house. Verse 16. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's do this. Let's pray together and uh, let's just ask the Lord now to direct us through this text. So, Lord, um, we're thankful this morning for your word. And, um, Lord, we're thankful for what you've done throughout this series through Colossians. And, and Lord, we come to you this morning. I think of Psalm 75 that says that the, the name of the Lord, the, the meaning the presence of the Lord is near. And so, uh, Lord, we just want to say to you as you are near, as you are present with us, we want to say today, Lord, would you speak? Lord, would you lead us? Would you guide us, Lord? Um, very simply, we want to say to you, we invite you in. Um, Maybe you just take a moment on your own right now if you feel led to do so and just say, Lord, I invite you in. Lord, would you have a word, with me, word for me? Would you encourage my heart today? Would you lead me today? Um, just have a conversation with the Lord. Lord, I invite you in. Go ahead. Lord, I thank you that you're the kind of, of God that you, you meet us where we're at. You know us by name, and uh, this morning you desire to speak to us. And so, Lord, we trust you, and, and Lord, I pray now that the words of my mouth would really honor you and that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide. So we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want you to think for a second about different people in your life that you would say that you admire. Um, these are people that maybe directly or maybe you would say indirectly, they have added great value to your life along the way. Um, these are sometimes people that you've met uh, personally, um, but maybe even you would say sometimes these are people that you haven't met personally. But through their actions, maybe through their words, maybe through their writings, they brought great encouragement into your life. Um, I recently finished listening to the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, what an admirable man. I mean, it, it blessed my life incredibly. You may have someone that you would say you rub shoulders with very closely. Maybe it's someone at, at work. Maybe it's a family member. Uh, maybe a mentor, a close friend. Students, this may be for you. It might be a coach. It might be a key teacher. But it's somebody that through their advice or through maybe some, the, some of the words that they spoke to you or maybe just straight up through their example before you, how they lived you would say of them, they inspired my faith. Like you, I, I can point to people in my life who I would say really helped me in my life, people who have really helped me in ministry. I would say of those kinds of people, those are, those are my heroes in a sense. I feel gratefully indebted for the contribution that they've made to my life. There are seven guys that we're going to look at in the text from this morning that Paul mentions. These guys are Paul's unsung heroes these are guys that contributed to his life in a significant, in an unforgettable way, you could say. I, I look at these group of guys and I, I think of them as, a, a, in a sense, a, a band of brothers for Paul. Let me put this into context a little bit. There's, there's really no doubt about it. The Apostle Paul is a person that we would say is a hero of the faith. I mean, he's the one, he's, he, he wrote the book of Colossians that we've been studying for the last 12 weeks. He wrote by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, 13 different New Testament books. He's undoubtedly one of the most influential men in the history of Christianity. Yet the thing that's true about Paul is that Paul didn't do ministry alone. 
He couldn't do it alone. Like any of us, Paul had people that he relied very heavily on. Now we admire Paul, and, and, and rightly so. But today what we're going to look at is who Paul admired who Paul looked to for help. Who were the people that gave Paul support? Who were the people that when Paul was in prison and he was struggling, who were the people that came alongside him? Who were the people that inspired him? Who were the ones that reminded him, hey, Paul, here's the course you're going to take. Keep going. You're on the right path. Who, who were those people? Who were the people even that it could be said of them, they paid a high price to associate with Paul as a prisoner? Pastor Steve said something to me this week regarding this text that was very insightful. He said, you can't underestimate the value that you can add to the lives of the people that you adore. This passage exemplifies that. As I studied this week, um, I got excited to share this with you because these people that we're going to look at in this text are ordinary people. And not only that, they're ordinary people that did ordinary things, but in the end, they weren't just ordinary things. They were things that you and I would look at and we might go, that's ordinary, but they were things that God used in extraordinary ways. Our our bottom line, our main point for this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. It's that God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. Uh, God uses ordinary people, people like you and me, fallen people, people that were maybe strong in an area, but were weak in another area. God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. These men that we'll look at, they were behind-the-scenes men for Paul. They helped him, though, become a part of something extraordinary, something that to, to, to this day we are eternally grateful for, the spreading of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Ordinary men were a part of Paul being a part of something extraordinary. As we look at their lives, we're going to see different things that have really direct application into our lives we're going to call those different things life lessons this morning. And, and I just want to encourage you wherever you're at. You know, you might be here today and you would say, I'm totally new to church. Maybe you've been gone for church for a long time and maybe you're back to church. Or maybe you would say, you know what, I, I've been a Christ follower for years and years and years. I just want to encourage you this morning. I think you're going to be able to leave the stories of these men with some encouragement as they were an encouragement to Paul. Uh, my prayer for you is that as we look at these different life lessons one of them, maybe two of them will stick out to you and you'll say, okay, that's the thing that that God had for me. That really hit home in my heart. Maybe you've never fully understood the significance of some of the really ordinary things that you can do that God then can in turn use in extraordinary ways. Let's do this. Let's jump in. Look at me at the first one. Verse 7, we get introduced to a guy named Tychicus. Now Paul writes about him. He says, he is a dear brother a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Life lesson number one of seven, here it is. A servant's heart goes a long way. Tychicus is mentioned five times in the New Testament, and and as a result, it gives us a great look into the kind of person that Tychicus was. We first meet him in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And one of the things that was happening in in that text that the Apostle Paul really felt a calling on his life to do was to bring unity between two groups, between Jewish Christians and Gentile believers. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, that's sort of happening under the effort of, of Paul. And what Paul is doing is he's going about and he's taking up an offering for a very needy church over in Jerusalem. Now he just doesn't go to any particular churches, he goes to Gentile churches Churches in Achaia and in, in, in Galatia particularly. And, 
And they take up an offering and that whole offering, that desire behind that is that it would minister, that it would bring unity between these two groups. Now along with that offering for this church in Jerusalem, Paul also takes with him some Gentile believers to help bridge that gap of unity. Now you can imagine what that meeting might have been like. It might have been, I would imagine it was very intense. Tychicus was one of the guys who was willing to pack up and he was willing to go with Paul. Now think about it, traveling by itself in that day and age was no small thing, but traveling with Paul was even more of an adventure. Parents, you know what it's like to, uh, to travel with young kids. It's complicated, isn't it? I mean, you need a second car just for their stuff, right? I mean, it's, it's a mess. Imagine traveling with the Apostle Paul. Each city that the Apostle Paul goes to, it says that he gets warned that something, that trouble is going to take place for him in Jerusalem. I mean, imagine traveling, even more significantly, traveling in that day. And the person that you're, you're traveling with, the person that you're walking next to, you keep hearing, hey, bad things are going to happen. You can just imagine the conversation. Tychicus, did you hear what's going to, yeah, man, I, I heard that too. I bet it's true. We've heard that over and over again, haven't we? Imagine that. Something bad is going to happen to the guy who's walking six inches from you. If you traveled with Paul, you traveled with great risk. Yet Tychicus didn't abandon him. Instead, what he did was he gladly served him. You can imagine that there were some side conversations that were happening between him. You can imagine that at times Paul would say, hey, you know what's going to happen. We keep hearing about this. You know what's going to happen to me when I get to Jerusalem. You can bail any time. You should just go back. I mean, family, friends, you should go... I can just see Tychicus interrupting him and saying, no, 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 no. Paul, I've got your back. Uh, Paul, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here for you. Now get this. As Paul writes Colossians, it has been now more than two years since Paul's arrest in Jerusalem for proclaiming the gospel. And since that time, Paul has survived a number of things. He survived a plot from the Jewish leaders to murder him. He survived trials under the Roman officials Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. And now he's also survived this traumatic voyage to Rome. And it's very possible that Tychicus was with Paul the entire time. And we know for sure that he was with him in his imprisonment while he was in Rome. He's a servant to him. Two final things about his life. When Paul was finally released from prison, Tychicus remained with him and then when Paul needed a temporary replacement for Titus, Titus was a pastor over in the city of Crete. And when Paul needed a replacement for Titus, who, who came to the top? Who was one of the candidates to fill that position? It was Tychicus, a faithful servant. You fast forward to the end of, of Paul's life during his second Roman imprisonment and Tychicus is still with him. And at this point, Paul is facing his looming execution. And what does Paul want? Paul just wants to be with Timothy. Once, one last time, he wants to see him. But Timothy can't leave his church. Timothy's a pastor of a church in Ephesus. Without a replacement, he can't leave. And so what does Paul do? Who does Paul trust to take Timothy's spot? 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul sends Tychicus. In addition to that, Tychicus was a messenger for Paul. Yeah, he was a carrier in a sense. He was the one that delivered the, the book of Colossians. And it's likely that he also had with him the book of Ephesians and Philemon. I mean, think about that. Those two letters alone that we benefit so greatly from. Tychicus, faithful servant, delivering them. 
And then to do this, Tychicus would have traveled over extremely rough terrain on foot and then by ship. Not a small deal. So Paul describes him as a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. Tychicus never got the limelight, yet you see his impact that he made on the Apostle Paul because he was willing to serve. It was, it was huge. It was profound for Paul. Ministry doesn't happen without people like Tychicus. Around here, Sunday morning doesn't happen without people like Tychicus. Ministry just doesn't happen. I think of the different initiatives that we do around here. They just don't happen without people like you. People who are willing to come early. People who are willing to stay late. People that share their resources. You know, there might be times where you feel like, well, I'm just another set of hands. Oh, I'm just kind of filling a spot. Not at all. Not at all. Ministry doesn't happen anytime around this place without people like you. It's dependent. A servant's heart goes a long way. God uses ordinary people like Tychicus to do extraordinary things. Next, let's uh, looking over this band of brothers that we've got serving with Paul. We meet this guy named Onesimus. Here it is, life lesson number two. God can transform sinful people with sinful pasts. God can transform sinful people with sinful pasts. That's great news, isn't it? I mean, I read that, I think about that, and I'm filled with joy. I mean, think about that. The God of the universe, if you walk away from him, he doesn't walk away from you. If you give him the hand, if you turn your back from him, he doesn't do the same to you. Not even close. It's great news. You know, you might be here today and you would say, I've blown it too badly. I've gone too far. I'm damaged goods. And I would just say to you this morning, no, you haven't. You haven't gone too far. Please don't miss this. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there are bright futures for people with sinful pasts. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I love this. It says, if, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, if anyone has their, their heart that's been changed by Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the, the, the old is gone and the new has come. There was once a person who you were like, but now you're new. You're different in Christ. There's new life in Christ. We get to know this guy, Onesimus, from the book of Philemon. It's actually a book that was written about him. Some things about him. Onesimus was a runaway slave that formerly lived with Philemon. Paul writes the book of Philemon in hopes that Philemon will take Onesimus back. And it appears from the text that Onesimus not only jumped ship, that he left him, that he ran away from Philemon, but also that it's likely that he stole from him as well. Now Philemon was a key member in the church in Colossae. Philemon was also someone who had come to know Christ through the teachings of the Apostle Paul. And now imagine this, only by God's hand you can imagine this, Onesimus leaves Philemon and where does he head? He heads to Rome, the, a huge city, well over two million people. He heads there and who does Onesimus run into as he runs away from Philemon? He runs into the Apostle Paul of all people, only God. You never know who you're going to run into, do you? And not only does he run into him, but because of their interaction, Onesimus comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul wrote about Onesimus in the book of Philemon. First, he refers to him as a son. Then he goes on and he writes, I am sending him, talking to Philemon, I am sending him, 
who is my very heart back to you. Paul loved this guy. He goes on in in verse 16 and he says, He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother, saying, hey, he's not just a worker anymore, Philemon. No, 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 he's one of us. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's a dear brother in the Lord. You can understand why Paul would relate to him. Paul had quite a past. And Paul can look at his past and you can just imagine as Paul sees the, the Holy Spirit and God transforming Onesimus' life that Paul's going, I love what God's doing in your life. Paul latches onto this guy. He loves him. According to the writings of Ignatius, an early church father, there's indication that Onesimus went on to become the pastor of the church in Colossae. God can transform sinful people with sinful pasts. If you're here today and you say, I'm broken goods, just let me say to you, God can transform you. Your days are not over, not even close. Onesimus was a normal guy that that God used in Paul's life in an extraordinary way. The guy we're introduced to next is, his name is Aristarchus, and And from him we get life lesson number three. Here it is, if you're taking notes. Everyone needs people in their life who simply care. Everyone needs people in their life who simply care. Now now this life lesson I think we can all very easily agree is is true. But it also makes us go, okay, who are those people in my life? It makes us look around a little bit. It's not rocket science, but it makes us kind of pause and go, oh, who who needs me right now? Or you might, you might be thinking this, you might be thinking, well, caring, that, that sounds pretty ordinary. You're right, it's, it's very ordinary. Again, God uses the ordinary, though, in extraordinary ways. You might be thinking, well, the people in my life, they seem pretty good. You know, it seems like they, they're, doing, they're doing okay. But put that into context a little bit. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who we're going to see, needed a lot of care in his life, and he got it, and it was huge. It ministered to him in profound ways. In verse 10, Paul writes, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. You ever gone through a really tough time, and and you had someone there for you? You never forget those moments, do you? Someone who was there, who walked with you. We find Aristarchus first in Acts chapter 19, verse 29. There's this rioting mob that actually seizes Aristarchus because he's associated with Paul. He gets arrested because he's one of Paul's companions. And Aristarchus, we see that he accompanied Paul beyond that in his return trip to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And then on his voyage to Rome, Acts chapter 27. And now as Paul writes Colossians, who is right by his side? Aristarchus. And Paul refers to him as a fellow prisoner, which literally means one caught with a spear. Get this, Aristarchus assumed the lifestyle of the apostle Paul because he cared for him. It motivated him. He was one of the guys that said, I'm just going to be with you. Without the fame of the apostle Paul, Aristarchus was a guy who was willing to bear his hardships. You know, oftentimes when you, uh, at least for me, when I, I know I'm going to have a conversation, I hope to bring some comfort to someone, you go into those kind of meetings or conversations and you want to have just the right thing to say. Have you ever had that experience? And then you get through the meeting and maybe it's, you know, it's months later, years later, you're done talking on the phone to that person, whatever, and they come back to you and, and they say, you know, it was nothing that you said 
but it was just that you were with me. That's what I needed. You were just there for me. Like different people in our lives, the Apostle Paul needed a man like Aristarchus. He needed someone who was just there, someone who just cared. Once again, God uses an ordinary person, an ordinary task even, to accomplish extraordinary things. He encouraged Paul. Paul probably kept going some days because he had encouragement from this guy who was just there. Is there anybody in your life that could benefit from that reminder today? Anybody come to mind? Let's keep going. Look at me. Look with me at verse 10. Paul mentions a guy named Mark, and he says that Mark is a cousin of Barnabas. And he gives instruction to, if this guy comes to you, to welcome him. But the story of Paul's relationship with Mark, it isn't completely rosy. From it, we get life lesson number four. Here it is. Never give up on people. For some of you, this could apply to an old friend, maybe, comes to mind. For some of you, this might apply to a relative. For some of you, it's even as personal as one of your own kids. You've wrestled with just, as you looked at their life situation, just writing them off. Stop praying, that kind of thing. Giving up. As a companion to Paul and Barnabas in their first missionary journey, we find Mark. And he's also known as John Mark. We find this encounter in Acts chapter 13, verse 5. And there he's mentioned as their helper. John Mark is the helper to Paul and the helper to Barnabas. Now you fast forward to verse 13 and it says, from, from Paphros, Paul and his companions sailed to, sailed to Perga and to Pamphylia, and here it is, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. This was right when the trip got dangerous. Something happened. One commentator wrote this of Mark. They hit the tough part, and Mark caught the quickest ship back to Jerusalem, to mother. Now, I think Mark's going to have a little conversation with that commentator in heaven. But, but fast forward now in, to Acts chapter 15, and they're preparing for their second missionary journey. And what happens? Barnabas says, hey, well, why don't we, why don't we, take, why don't we take Mark? And Paul's going, no, 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 Barnabas, why on earth would we take your cousin? He's your cousin. You're just in love with your family. You want to do him a favor? Sorry, buddy. Don't you remember? He's the one that deserted us already once. It would not be a wise choice. Acts chapter 15 verse 39 says that they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company with each other. John Mark then ends up with Peter. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 5. And, and over time... He becomes very useful, Mark does. So useful that at the end of Paul's life, Paul is writing 2 Timothy chapter 4, and in verse 11 he says, Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me and my ministry. This is John Mark. I mean, this is the guy that Paul wrote off. This is the guy that said, No way, that would not be a wise choice. But this is the guy also that would go on to do something that only three other men in history have been able to do, have had the privilege of doing, writing a gospel. He wrote the gospel of Mark, a guy that was once written off. Never give up on people. God uses ordinary people, people like John Mark, people who aren't perfect. And he uses them to accomplish extraordinary things. 
Let me ask you a question. Is there anyone in your life that you would say, that person that just came to mind, they just need a second chance. I need to reach out to them again. Let's keep going. Look at me at the next guy, verse 11. Paul writes, Jesus, and this is not Messiah Jesus, Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Now, like Paul, Justice was a man of Jewish descent. They had a lot in common. And and while Paul was the type of person that spent a lot of time sharing the gospel in Jerusalem, Paul was absolutely no stranger to being rejected by his own countrymen. And this would have been very disheartening to the Apostle Paul. Imagine the big show comes to your hometown and none of the recordings sell. Imagine that. Disheartening to Paul. Life lesson number five. Strong commitment comes with a price. Some of you, you would say this, you are first-generation Christians. And when you talk to family later on Sunday afternoon, and they say, well, how was your weekend? And you say, good. And you, maybe you mention, hey, I went to, went to Brookside this morning. And, and, and you don't get accolades for that kind of thing. As a matter of fact, you kind of feel the pressure of it. You feel the, oh, really? Right? You see the eyes roll, that kind of thing. You understand the pressure that these guys felt, that these three guys who associated very closely with the Apostle Paul, you understand that. You understand the rejection. Yet their strong commitment was used by God to do what? It brought comfort to Paul. Just imagine how much comfort Paul needed. I picture these three guys, these three Jewish brothers of his, comforting him, surrounding him in his lowest lows and encouraging him, saying, Paul, stay the course. Paul, we know that not everybody's with you, but but Paul, stay the course. You're doing the right thing. We're with you. Their commitment to Paul was solid, yet it came with a price. You know, when you stand up for Christ, whether it's at the workplace or whether it's with your family or with friends or in whatever context you do, and so many of you do it so well, you know very well that it comes with a price, but be reminded this morning, it also has an impact. It has an eternal impact, an impact you might not even see. Our main point this morning God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. Every person in this room is capable of what this next guy did. Verse 12, Paul writes, he does a very ordinary thing. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always, here it is, wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now, Epaphras was the the founder of the Colossian church. And what has happened is Epaphras has gone to see the Apostle Paul to tell Paul what's happening in the city of Colossae. And he's saying, hey, there are people that have come. There are heretics. There are people that are teaching things that aren't true. And he tells Paul that. And the book of Colossians is a response to what Epaphras has told him. And so the Apostle Paul then writes this letter to to the Colossian church. But know this. While Epaphras is away from his church, he's not just distant and and they're out of sight, out of mind. No, no, no. He is laboring for them in prayer. Laboring for them. Life lesson number six. Your private devotion to prayer leads to impact. 
Now, these weren't just kind of fluffy prayers that Epaphras was praying. The idea here, the, the real meaning of the words in the text there are he was agonizing. He was wrestling. If you look at this verse and compare it with others, you could even say <clears throat> he was fighting for them in prayer. He was thinking about them. They were on his mind and he was praying for them that they would stand perfect and complete, that they would be assured in their faith. Epaphras is in a living example of Colossians 4, 2, where Paul, we looked at that last week, where Paul said, I want you people, I want you to be devoted to prayer. To be dedicated to prayer might seem ordinary to you, but when you do it, when it becomes a practice, it has extraordinary ability to impact, to enhance the kingdom of God, to further the purposes of God. You know, I sensed a prompting from God, it's clear as day this week into my own life, to be more intentional, Jeff, be more intentional about praying for the people in your life that are far from God. Now, now that's an ordinary thing for a follower of Christ, but, but here's what I know, and here's what I hope will be true in their lives. When I, when I pray, I know I'm going to be more intentional, and I'm praying that through my intentionality that that, that will bear fruit. Again, it's ordinary but yet God uses the ordinary. He uses ordinary people like you and I to do extraordinary things. The last guy that we're going to look at in the text, and I'll be brief, his name is Demas. And this is a sad one. Here's the life lesson from, from him. Life lesson number seven, last one. How you finish is equally as important as how you begin. How you finish is equally as important as how you begin. Demas was with Paul for a substantial amount of time. He was with him during both of his imprisonments. Imagine that, long time with Paul in a jail cell. But something changed. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9-10, through 10, Paul writes, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me, and he has gone to Thessalonica. Let this snapshot of Demas be a reminder to us that we don't want there to be anything that would come into our lives that we would say, you know what, that distracted me. For a number of years, I was walking with God and then that came in and that just distracted me. Now, might we be the kind of people that we look at Demas and we go, wow, he was, he was with the apostle Paul. Talk about a spiritual high. But it says that, that Demas, he, he, didn't, he didn't finish well. He got, he got sidetracked. Notice what Paul says in verse 17 as he closes out Colossians. He writes, see to it that you complete the work that you have received from the Lord. You know, might we be the kind of people that at the end of our days, at the end of our years, that we look back and we go, boy, I remember when I, when I first found Christ back in whatever year that was, I, I am just as passionate now for Jesus as I was clear back then. I am just as devoted. I have a desire to get into God's word just as much now as I did clear back then. I want to take risks for God just like I was willing to back then. I didn't care if I looked dumb because I cared so much about people. I was so amazed at what God had done for me. The gospel has impacted my heart. Might we be the kind of people that we look at Demas and I'm challenged by this guy that I look back and I go, okay, wow, am I currently where I was at when I first fell in love with Christ? And where will I be in years and years? Might we be the kind of people at the end of our days we look back and we go, we are running just as hard as we were before. You know, we can learn a lot from these people, can't we? Um, you know, as you leave here today, I would just encourage you. Um, 
Maybe just to think about just one of those life lessons and, and to really ask yourself, okay, where does that apply to me? Well, what does that look like? And then to remind yourself, okay, these are very ordinary things, but God uses ordinary things with ordinary people and he uses them in extraordinary ways. Might we be the type of people that like the Apostle Paul? That we, we're thinking, we're forward thinking, we're looking around us, we're going, okay, I can, I can meet those needs. I, I can be about those particular things. By his grace, might we look at this passage and might we say, you know what, we're, we're going to be similar to these guys and some of the things that they did. So let's do this. Let's, let's, why don't we stand together and, uh, and we'll pray to that end. So Lord, we, um, we come to you now at the end of this series, and uh, Lord, we just want to pray that you would help us to apply your word. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you are alive and active, that, <clears throat> that your word is alive and active. And we just pray, Lord, as we go from this place that maybe it's just one thing, maybe it's even two, that, that you would just say, wow, I, I really, I want you to focus on that. And then, Lord, I think of those that are here today, and they would say that number two, that one about if you're far from God, if you have a sinful past, God can still show up in your life. Lord, I would just, I would just pray for that person who's here today, and they would say, I'm damaged. I've walked away from God, and, and I just pray that even in these next moments that they would find you, that they would reach out to you, that they would acknowledge their need for you, and that they would receive you by faith in Christ. So, Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you for the gospel message of Jesus that changes us. We pray this in Christ's name out of much love. Amen. Great. Let's sing together.